Well, hey there. Welcome to the Kim Constable podcast. I hope you enjoyed yesterday's live training episode and this very special series of five bonus episodes that we are bringing to you from the five day shredded body challenge. I am not going to talk for long today. I just wanted to say a quick hello before I send you over to the masterclass today. So please do enjoy this and don't forget to leave me a review in the podcast if you want to win one of our sculpted vegan programs and I will see you tomorrow for another bonus episode. Okay, talk to you soon. Bye. Today isn't going to be a lot of work. And whenever I tell you what you're going to have to do for the challenge, you might be a little bit like, really? Is that it? Like, when are we going to get to the good stuff? Because I have seen a lot of people posting in the group and saying, you know, when are we going to get to the meal plans? When are we going to get to the food? When are we going to get to what I have to eat? Okay. But here's the thing. This is a five-day shredded body challenge. So at the end of this challenge, I promised you, you were going to get a four-week fat loss plan. Now, any person who came to me personally, if I was to coach you personally, and you asked me to create you a four-week shred plan, what I'm doing in this five-day challenge is exactly what I would do if we were sitting down together face-to-face and I was creating a personalized plan for you. So... Really, the way I'm teaching you to do this, although you have to do the work, like if we sat down together, I would obviously help you do the work and we would do it together in that session. But the way I'm teaching you here makes it that it's like I'm teaching you personally, except you have to do a little bit of the work, which is okay, because then once you've learned how to do the work, then you can take that skill into the rest of your life and you always have that skill with you. So you're not dependent on me to do it for you. So I want you to know that if you just stick with me, no matter how boring it is, and I know you just you just want to jump ahead and just want to get it done and you just want to like lose the body fat already. You just want the plan already. You just want the meal plan already, okay? And I promise you all of that is coming. You should see the goodies that I have planned for you at the end of this week, whatever we were planning. Because as I told you, I'm going to open the 18 month sculpt and shred at the end of this five day challenge. Whenever we were planning this launch, I was going to the team. I was like, Jamie was like, so um, what bonuses are we going to give them? And I was like, yeah, give them the 10-week shred meal plan. And yeah, give them, you know, yeah, give them a copy of Butt Camp 2.0. And, and yeah, which is our brand new program, by the way. And yeah, and give them a copy of that. And yeah, give them that. And yeah, give them Basement Jacked. And yeah, give them those meal plans. And she was like, you want to give them all of this? I was like, sure, why not? And she was like, okay, because Jimmy's the one who schedules everything. So honestly, at the end of the Sculpt and Shred, or the end of this challenge, whenever we open the Sculpt and Shred, for anybody who chooses to go on into that 18-month program, we're going to give you but camp 2.0, we're going to give you 10 week shred meal plans. We're going to give you the de yoga tox program. It's a yoga detox program, which also has meal plans and recipes. We're going to give you um, basement jacked, which is our home gym workout. We're going to give you, I don't know, I don't, loads of other stuff. Can't even remember, right? But we are literally going to give away thousands and thousands of dollars worth of programs at the end of this, as well as on Friday, just as an FYI, there's loads of people getting on my switches. I am going to start the, the challenge now, but on, a, on Friday, by the way, live in Friday's masterclass, I'm going to give away about two to $3,000, maybe more. 
who knows? Sometimes I get excited and I give away more. So I'm just gonna like give like giving away spot cash prizes. I'm gonna give away $500 at the start, maybe another $500. I'm gonna stop halfway through and give another $500 just to somebody who's here live. So you wanna make sure that you show up live on Friday because I'm gonna be giving away loads and loads and loads of cash as well, as well as loads of free programs. Like I love giving away free stuff. It doesn't cost me anything to give away free stuff, so I just give loads of it away. Okay, so today what we're gonna do um, is I'm going to teach you a very essential step, which is step two in your journey to creating your four-week fat loss plan. And this, day two is all about measurement. Now, this may seem like a very boring thing to do, but basically in the PDF today, uh, which is gonna be uploaded to the announcement section in the group at the end of this live, in the PDF, you are going to follow the steps to basically take your measurements. So you're going to take your waist measurement, your bust, your hips, your thighs, um, you're gonna measure your body fat, you're gonna weigh yourself. So you're going to basically get your starting point of where you are now. Because yesterday you took your photos and I saw loads of you posting in the group saying, oh my God, I'm so ashamed of my photos and I hate them. And then some of you were really brave and you were like, fuck it, I'm just gonna upload my photos. Here I am in all my glory because my transformation is gonna be amazing. And then there's some other people who felt really emotional about the pictures and I feel you, I feel you, but hopefully today I'm going to um, alleviate a little bit of that emotion for you because I'm gonna tell you a couple of stories which I think is gonna help you. So basically that is your step for today. So anybody who's like, right, great, got the step. Now I'm gonna go, that's fine. You know what the step is at the end of this live. You can just go and download the PDF. You can take your measurements. If you're the kind of person who like doesn't wanna hang around and hear what I have to say and why this is important, just wait for the PDF at the end, take all your measurements, estimate your body fat, and then upload it to the website. If you want that extra step of accountability, post it in the group. If you want that extra step of accountability, that is your step for today. But if you're like, welcome, you know, you sometimes say things that are quite interesting occasionally, and I might hang around and hear what you have to say, that I am going to explain to you why this is so important and possibly why you have been doing it wrong up until now. So first, let me tell you a quick story. So I remember whenever I first learned how important measurement was. I was about 35, possibly maybe 36, and I didn't really ever, I never really tried to lose body fat until after I had children, because my whole life I have been a competitive horse rider. Um, I used to ride for Ireland whenever I was a junior, and whenever I was all the way through university, whenever I was growing up, right up into you know my 20s, whenever I met my husband, I was riding horses competitively. So I was working full time, but I was also riding horses competitively. I used to show jump in England. And so I was always skinny like a rake. I was always about, I don't know what body fat percentage I would have been, very, very low. I mean, in my lowest size, I was a, a UK size six, which I think is an American size two. Um, and I am tall, like I'm five foot eight. So that is very, very, very slim for me. And so I was very low body fat. I never had to try to lose to lose weight. I was all, because I always did so much exercise. Um, I, I, I ate like a horse, like I never stopped eating. But because I was riding competitively and I was mucking out stables and I was extremely physically active and I was also young, like I was in my twenties, my early twenties, I never had to try to lose body fat. I was always very naturally lean. And then after I had my children and I wasn't doing so much exercise and obviously, you know, I 
had my belly had grown and I was breastfeeding and my body was holding on to more body fat. After I had my kids, I remember just for the first time in my life being unhappy with my body. I'd never been unhappy with my body before because I'd always been blessed with being extremely lean because I led a very, very active lifestyle. And so I remember after my daughter Maya was born, that's when I'd had three kids in, in three years, basically. And that's when I really began to think, okay, I am fed up being fat, right? And I wasn't fat by any means, but I certainly wasn't. Like, you have to understand the perspective. Before I had kids, I was a size two, an American size two, and I'm five foot eight. I was super lean. And so I went from being an American size two to an American size eight, probably, which is a big jump, okay? So it's not that I was hugely overweight, but I was much more overweight than I was used to. And I remember after Maya was born, I remember thinking, right, that is it. I am going to lose body fat. And it was the first time that I had ever really focused on, on losing fat. Like I'd, I'd never dieted before, uh, apart from whenever I was younger, you know, obviously in my teens and stuff. And so I, I started dieting. Uh, I started becoming very, very aware of what I was eating. And so for the years after Maya was born, now she is 11, nearly 12. So what am I, 42? So I was about 30 and, or just before 30, but 29, 30. That's when I really started to become aware of dieting. And then Jack came, he was not planned. Jack, thank God he came because we love him. But at the time I really wasn't happy about being pregnant again. And I just worked really hard to try and get my body back into shape. I was running, I wasn't weight training, but I was running, I was doing loads of yoga. I was eating very restricted calories and I'd managed to lose quite a lot of body fat. And then Jack came along, I got pregnant again, I got fat again. And after Jack, I was like, I am done. That is it, no more children. Now I'm going to get my body back, if you like. And so I started doing everything that I've been doing before, which was just doing lots and lots and lots of exercise, lots and lots of cardio. And then I was teaching loads of yoga and I started counting my calories. I knew nothing about macros, but I slashed my calories down to about 1400 calories. And I, and 12 to 1400 calories, I started counting calories and I did lose quite a lot of body fat, but I certainly didn't look like I look now. My body didn't have shape and muscle and muscular curves. I just began to look skinny, but I still had this this like layer of fat around my stomach. I was skinny everywhere else, but I still had this layer of fat around my stomach. But because I had no idea what body fat percentage was, it never occurred to me to think about body fat percentage. My gauge before was always, do my clothes fit or do my clothes not fit? Do my skinny jeans fit or do my skinny jeans not fit? That was how I had gauged, you know, where I was in my journey. And I had managed to diet successfully down to really quite skinny. And I was happy that I was skinny, but I still didn't love my body. Like I never looked at my butt and thought, oh yeah, I love my butt. Like I always still hated my butt. I always still hated my stomach. And I was like, why can I not get rid of this layer of fat on my stomach? Like I just couldn't get rid of it. And so I, I was obsessively reading dieting books and researching <coughs> excuse me <coughs> and I remember coming across a bodybuilding book that I started to read and it talked about measurement and it said that if you want to lose body fat it was specifically talking about body fat it said you need to first of all know what your body fat percentage is and I was like oh body fat percentage what is this 
And so it talked about, you know, the, the most accurate way to get a body, to know what your body fat percentage is, is to get a DEXA body scan. So I, um, I didn't have access to a DEXA body scan, but it said you can also get calipers and you can, you know, measure your body by calipers. And so I didn't know how to do this either, but I, we were members of a private health club. There was a gym at it. And I remember going to one of the PTs there and I said to her, would you be able to do my body fat? And she said, yes, absolutely, I can do that. And, and Ryan said, oh, I wanna get my body fat done too because he had decided to do this, this diet with me, this brand new diet that I was gonna be going on. Even though I was already skinny anyway, I thought that the only way to get rid of my belly fat was to diet more. Big mistake, by the way, you're gonna learn out why that's a mistake. So I was like, I'm skinny everywhere else, but I'm determined to shred this belly fat off my stomach and, and I'm, I will do anything that it takes. So. I was convinced because I was so skinny everywhere else and I was kind of proud of the fact that I was skinny and I had managed to get myself skinny down to my skinny jeans. I was convinced that I would be about 13% body fat, okay? I had no idea about body fat percentages, by the way. I was just convinced that I was, you know, going to be about 13% body fat. And I used to look at Ryan who didn't, you know, obviously Ryan has never been overweight. Ryan's my husband, but I thought, you know, yeah, he's got, he's much bigger than me, much bigger proportions. I thought Ryan's going to be about, about, you know, he'll be about 30% body fat. I'll be about 13% body fat. I was convinced that I would be pretty, pretty low body fat. Because there were pictures in this book that I was reading. And I looked at the pictures and I was like, yeah, I'm definitely about 13% body fat. So we went and got this, uh, the calipers done. We went and got our body fat done. And I remember her doing the calipers and she said to me, it'll take me a day or two to um, work out, you know, your body fat or I'll have it for you tomorrow or whatever. We said, oh, it's fine, no problem at all. So the next day she messaged me and she said, okay, I've worked out your body fat percentage. She said, Kim, yours is 25% and Ryan's is 14%. And I was like, no, 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 that, no, that couldn't be. I, I can't be 25% body fat. And I went back to her and I was like, 25%, are you sure? And she was like, uh-huh, yeah, 25%. And I was like, how can I be 25%? I was like, look, look how skinny I am. Like I am, I can't be 25%. How can he be like 14%? Like, this, he's far bigger than me. I knew nothing about muscle mass. I knew nothing about being skinny fat. I knew nothing about anything. As far as I was concerned, I was lean. I was super lean. And, and I, and you know what? Honestly, I was angry. I was pissed off. I was pissed off with her. I said, she can't be, that can't be right. I can't be 25%. I just can't be because I had attached my self-worth to that number. Okay. I had attached my self-worth to that number. I was like, I am definitely going to be like 13 to 14% body fat. And when I get confirmation of my 13 to 14% body fat, I am, I am, you know, it's going to validate me and my, my skinniness is means I'm a, you know, I really prided myself on being skinny because I thought that it meant that I was a good person or something. I it definitely meant something about me that really was not true in reality. So the 25% whenever I got it was a real smack up the face to me because it was the first time I had ever actually had reality data reality data up until this point i had been existing in this la la land of fantasy in my head thinking that i was 13 or 14 percent and in fact i honestly up until that point had believed that i used and i talk about this a lot i used to pride myself on the fact that i could feel hungry and not eat i used to say things like 
Food never tastes as good as skinny feels. You know, it was that Kate Moss quote from years ago. Food never tasted as good as skinny feels. I prided myself on the fact that I only ate 1,200 calories a day. Somehow this meant I was a strong person. I was mentally tough and I was able to withstand the draw of food and not eat it. And somehow this made me a good person, right? Here's why all this was a problem. Because up until this point, I had never measured anything in my entire life. So I didn't know what my body fat was. I didn't know how many calories I was eating. I didn't know, you know, what, you know, how, how strong I was in the gym or how much muscle I had or how much, you know, what I knew nothing like that. I had, I, I didn't measure anything. I didn't know the circumference of my waist, of my legs, nothing. And actually that's not true. One day I decided to say, because you know, did you ever hear that models used to be like 34, 24, 34? So that's like the perfect model shape. So 34 bust, 24 waist, 34 hips. I remember measuring myself one day and realizing my waist was like 32 inches. And I was like, why is this possible? Like I was horrified that my waist was 32 inches. So do you know what I did? I never measured my waist again because I didn't want to know that my waist was 30 inches. I wanted to live in the la-la land. I wanted to live in the fantasy in my head where my waist was 24 inches. So if anyone ever asked me, you know, whenever, do you ever have to fill in those like questionnaires or something in magazines? They were like, what is your, you know, what is your hip to, to bust ratio? Whatever. I was like, 34, 24, 34. Like I, or, and then I used to go, well, maybe I'm not, maybe I'm not 24, might be 26, 34, 26, 34. I wanted to be 34, 24, 34. And I was not willing to accept the fact that I wasn't because I wasn't existing in reality. I was existing in the fantasy inside my head. So the day that I got the 25 body percent reading, it was almost like someone had hit me with a sledgehammer. I felt so disheartened. I felt so upset. I felt so... I was like, I, I honestly felt like, like my world had come crashing down around me. And I know that seems so ridiculous because I was only 25% body fat and I was really thin. But the problem was that I had been fooling myself all of these years. I had been fooling myself that the way to get lean, the way to get thin, the way to have some kind of body confidence or whatever it was I was chasing was to be on a semi-starvation diet, to you know, be eating 1,200 calories a day, to be you know, running and doing cardio and yoga and all the things I was doing. And I I didn't want any data to come in that was contrary to what I needed and wanted to believe. And the day I got the 25% body fat rating, I couldn't ignore the data anymore. I could not allow myself to exist in the fantasy in my head anymore because now I had data and it was coming in from outside. So why is it important to measure yourself? Well, it's important to measure yourself because you are not a good judge of yourself. You cannot be objective. You can't be objective about yourself. Just like if you're ever having an emotional reaction to something or you're having a fight with somebody or you're having like a, you know, an argument or a disagreement with someone and you go to someone else for advice, that person can be objective because they're not emotionally involved. You are emotionally involved with yourself. You are emotionally involved with your perception of how you should look, how you should feel, of you know how the world views you. Your ego is all wrapped up in, in how you feel and how you look and how you interpret the data in a way that someone who's being objective isn't. Like, do you ever, do you ever, like, have you ever watched a friend getting dressed to go out one night and 
And she's like, oh my God, how do I look? How do I look? How do I look? And you know, this friend is stressing because she's like, oh, I don't want, I don't want, you know, I, I don't want to go out and have people like judge me or look at me in a certain way. And you're looking at her thinking, sweetheart, there ain't nobody fucking cares what you look like when you go out. Like you're like, you look fine. You look totally fine. Or your daughter. If you ever had anyone here who has a daughter, right? Sometimes my daughter will be like, you know, no, no, I, I can't go out dressed like that. Or I can't, no, I can't like that. Or no, this needs to be perfect. Or I need to have this. And I'm looking at her thinking, Maya, there's nobody caring that you're that you have a rip in your right knee of your jeans. Nobody cares that you're not wearing mascara. She's 11, by the way, you know, but she gets all wrapped up in how she looks when she leaves the house. But I can look at her lovingly and objectively and know that she looks beautiful just as she is. And nobody actually cares what she looks like when she goes out. So this is why. But to her, her whole world is wrapped up in in how she's feeling and how she's looking and how she feels when she when she goes out to a party with us or we go out for dinner or whatever. Why is this even important? Because you are so emotionally involved with yourself. You're so emotionally involved with how you feel and how you look and how your clothes fit and everything that you're not a good judge of character. You're not a, not a, you're not a good judge. You're not a good judge of your own character, right? But unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, you in this scenario, because you don't have me as your coach checking in with you every day you are responsible for changing your body. And you're here in this group because you wanna change your body. You wanna be something different to what you are now. And so because you are responsible for that happening and you are responsible for taking the information that I'm teaching you and applying it to your life, you need something that is objective. You need an objective set of data that you don't apply emotional meaning to and completely warp the data. Because that is what will happen if you look in the mirror and you like have to take your clothes off and look in the mirror, you're gonna start judging yourself and judging how you look and judging your thighs and your cellulite and your, your belly or judging your, oh my God, how do I let myself go? I'm such a bad person. And you'll start like, you know, making it mean all the shit that it doesn't mean. So what we're trying to do with this challenge with yesterday with the body goal of where you were versus where you want to be. And then today with the, the measurement data of your, you know, your waist circumference, your hips, your bust, your thighs, your arms, your weight, your body fat. I want you to get an objective set of data that you can use as a starting point so that you can measure progress moving forward because you cannot measure progress based on how you feel. And you cannot 100% the most unreliable way that you can measure your progress is looking in the mirror. When you look in the mirror and you see your reflection coming back at you, you warp that reflection based on meaning. It's called a stimulus response pattern. So what happens is, you look in the mirror and you immediately focus in on your belly fat or you immediately focus in on your cellulite or you immediately focus in on, not everybody of course, some people look in the mirror and they love themselves and if that is you, I applaud you. But the majority of us, me included, we look in the mirror and we look at the flaws. And so we, we look at our belly and because every time we look at our belly, we have an emotional reaction to it because that belly represents all the times we didn't stay on our diet, all the times we promised that we would go on a run and we didn't, all of the failed 
visits to the gym when we just couldn't get there and something happened, all of the pizza that we ate that we said we wouldn't, all of the times that we bought food during the day when we were at work and our husbands couldn't see us or our wives couldn't see us and we, we snuck it in during the day and then we pretended that we didn't. That belly represents all of the times you have failed to you doesn't represent that to me because I can look at your belly and I can be a very objective about it. But you have an emotional attachment or emotional reaction to your belly or your cellulite or your glutes or your stomach or your arms or whatever it is. And you make it mean something that it doesn't. So you can't see when it's shrinking or when it's growing or when it's slightly reduced. You just, even if it has reduced, you might look at it and go, well, yeah, it's reduced, but it's not enough. It's not enough. Like, I haven't worked hard enough. I'm bad. I'm I'm wrong. I, I I should have worked harder. I should have eaten less. I shouldn't have had that 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 piece of birthday cake at my child's birthday last week because that's why it's not four inches smaller. That's not, and it is, and you've made really good progress. But you you skew the data based on what you see. So whenever you are creating a fat loss plan, or whenever you are sculpting a body, or whenever you're moving towards something bigger than you, something measurable, something tangible. That's why I had you. Um, how'd you find that body goal yesterday? Because I want you to emotionally connect to a, a vision of yourself in the future. And so I had you emotionally connect to that body goal. And I really want you to feel that it's attainable. I want you to look at that and say, I will look like that. I will get there. Because whenever you do that, then you can start to objectively measure and look at the data and then interpret it or have someone else help you to interpret it, like our coaches. So you could look at your data points and you could say, okay, so, so let's say you're on your, your four-week plan or your eight-week plan or your four-year plan or whatever. You could, so you'll have all your starting measurements. You'll have your starting photos. You'll have your where you are now versus where you want to go. And then you'll have all of your circumference and you'll have your weight on the scale and you'll have your body fat percentage. Now, you could then be on your four-week fat loss plan, okay? Then at the end of four-week fat loss plan, you could have lost, say, say you've lost 16 pounds and your waist has gone from 42 inches to 36 inches. And, you know, your bust has gone from, say, 50 inches to 45 inches and your hips have gone from 48 inches to 42 inches. And so you can, and your weight has dropped from say 200 pounds to, well, what did I say you've lost like 16 pounds. So say you've gone from 200 pounds down to uh, 184 pounds. Okay. So you could then go, you, so you with all of your crazy shit goes on inside your head, you could be like, oh my God, that's so terrible. Like I, I worked so hard and I should have gotten better results than this. And this is awful. So you might then go into one of our Facebook groups and you might say, can I get a coach's advice? And this is what happens in the 18-month sculpt and shred. You're like, can I get a coach's advice? So I've been eating 1,600 calories. I've been exercising cardio 30 minutes a day. I've been training five days a week. Um, I've been taking XYZ supplements. Um, and in four weeks, I've you know lost 16 pounds or 14 pounds on the scale. I've lost X amount of inches um, and blah, 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 blah. Is this good progress or not? And the coaches might be, holy shit, that's amazing. You've lost four pounds a week for four weeks and you've lost X amount of inches. Well done, that is phenomenal. And you can be like, oh really, is this good? And I'd be like, yes, you're absolutely on track. So what you need to do now is you need to continue for another two weeks, keep your calories steady, increase your cardio by five minutes a day. And they will then give you an objective external perspective as to whether you're on the right track or not. 
So it takes all of the emotion out of it. You're not looking at it going, I'm such a bad person. Like, I, I don't know, which is what happens sometimes whenever you're on your own in this kind of journey, because you really don't know whether or not, you know, your progress is good or not. But whenever you have someone external who's an expert to guide you, and we have this in our free groups, by the way, we have a free group called the Sculpted Vegan Insiders. We have this group here, which is going to stay open. So there's no need to purchase anything. We're going to give you loads of help to achieve your goals, whether or not you purchase anything. So you can then have, take the data, which has no emotion. It's just like a box, right? You're just carrying this box of data, do, 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 setting it down. Here's my box of data, coach. Can you help me interpret this? Coaches will either say, you need to decrease your calories by 100 and increase your cardio by five minutes a day, or you need to absolutely stay where you are, change nothing, keep doing what you're doing, come back to me in two weeks. So there's not, now there's no emotion. You're not a bad person, a good person. You're not whatever. You've just been working diligently and working on your plan. And now you have a whole new set of data. And that's what bodybuilders do. Bodybuilders work on data. They don't work on emotion. They don't work on feeling. They don't judge themselves because they haven't, you know, done, done something that they should have done. They just measure the data. That's what scientists do. Scientists measure data. Scientists say, if I put this in the Petri dish and this in the Petri dish and I add a little sprinkle of this, what will happen? And then they measure it and they go, oh, interesting, that thing happened. What will happen if I don't do a sprinkle of this and I do a dump of this and a little less this and a little less of this? Oh, interesting, that happened. So that is how a scientist works and that's how bodybuilder works and that's bodybuilders work and that's why we call this bodybuilder science. But the problem is most of us just get in our own way. <laughs> we get in our own way because we panic and we get emotional and we make it mean all kinds of shit that it doesn't mean and we beat ourselves up and we punish ourselves and we feel guilty but i hate to tell you something right i'm gonna blow your socks off with this okay guilt is an absolutely useless emotion guilt is something that we use to get out of being held accountable so if I perceive that I have done something bad, so let's say I have committed to eating 1600 calories a day and I'm following my meal plan and it's, you know, and then one day my husband comes home and he brings a big, massive baked cheesecake and I love baked cheesecake. And this one has like a, like a black forest kind of, um, what do you call that? Like syrupy thing over the top of it and maybe some whipped cream on the side and it's vegan and it's delicious. And I look at it and the smell of it and the taste of it, I start salivating and I just can't help it. And I fall off the wagon and I eat a big massive wedge of that cheesecake, okay? And it felt so good. And it absolutely knocked me over my 1600 calories. What do I do? Well, some people go, oh shit, I had the cheesecake. I wonder what it was that caused me to make eating the cheesecake more important than staying on my goal. Let me see if I can figure that out. So next time it happens, I can not do that, or I can figure out what was the emotional trigger, or I can try and figure out some way of creating a, a, like, a, like, a, like a, a pause between seeing the cheesecake and eating it so that I can move forward and be successful in my life. Some people say, 
let me look at where I was limited. Because if I can't stay on my goals and I can't resist the cheesecake, it's because I'm limited in some way. Either my goal wasn't important enough to me or I, I have an emotional attachment to food or I just have no willpower or something, okay? But someone who's objective will just try and figure out the data as to why they fell off the wagon and had the cheesecake. But you know what the rest of us do? Not, not us, by the way, not those other people, the other people who aren't here watching the live today, other people, you know what they do? They go, oh my God, I'm so bad. Like I, I have the cheesecake, I shouldn't have eaten the cheesecake. I just feel so guilty. And then they go to their husband, oh my God, I feel so guilty, like I shouldn't have eaten that. Oh my God, I actually feel quite sick, I wonder that. Let me just go and check in the mirror. And they go to the mirror and they're like, my stomach, yeah, yeah, I can definitely, yeah, yeah, I can feel it, yeah, oh my God, I can see it. And we start to panic, right? Um, but you know what we feel most of all? We feel guilty, we feel guilty, oh my God, I'm such a bad person. Why? Why can I not just be the kind of person who just doesn't eat the duck of the goddamn cheesecake? I mean, I'm so bad and I just, I just like, I wish that I could just not be this way. And you know what that is? That's suffering. Do you know why we suffer? Because if we suffer and if we feel guilty and we beat ourselves up, then you won't beat me up because I'm already beating myself up enough. I mean, can you not see me? I am beating myself so badly that there is no need for you to beat me too. It's a, it's a defense mechanism. It's a way that we get out of being held accountable because we don't wanna go. Yeah, the cheese kick. And probably shouldn't have eaten it because it knocked me off my goal. And I probably just need now to sit down and figure out why I ate the cheese kick so that I can make sure it doesn't happen again. But no, 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 no. We use guilt and we beat ourselves up so that we can get out of holding ourselves accountable. We can get out of being held accountable because we think that a beaten me is better than a non-beaten me. Because if I beat myself, then you won't beat me. And you don't have to, you don't have to judge me. I already know I'm a bad person. You don't have to look at me and think, Kim, you're disgusting. You can't even, you can't even stay on your diet, Kim. I mean, I'm disappointed in you. You don't need to say that to me because honestly, I'm more disappointed in me than you could ever be. In fact, I hate myself more than you could ever hate me. In fact, there is not one part of myself that is not abhorrent to me. So you need to continue to love me because honestly, I already hate myself. And if I hate myself, then you don't have to hate me as well because that's just pointless. And then we get out of looking at why we actually had the cheesecake. So guilt is something that we use that is not productive in any way. And it's something that we use to get out of being held accountable. It's something that we use to get out of holding ourselves accountable because we don't actually want to look at the reason why we can't stick to our calorie controlled diet. But let me tell you, that is so much more useful than guilt because guilt doesn't stop you from doing it again because you know that you can do it and then you can beat yourself and you can feel guilty and you can self-flagellate and that is your punishment, if you like. But beating yourself up never actually did anything productive and it doesn't stop you from doing the things again. It just makes you hide them more because you only feel guilty whenever someone else has found out what you've done. So this is what I'm really passionate about teaching women because women are emotionally involved. We are so emotionally involved with our bodies, with our food, with our choices. And men are so much less emotionally involved. That's why men, that's why men are, are amazing bodybuilders. And don't get me wrong, women are too, but see a man, a man doesn't have the same emotional attachments to food as women have. And do you know why? 
Because from men or little boys, they're taught that in order to get big and strong, you have to eat all the food. Isn't that what the men are? Isn't that what we tell our little boys? Eat up all your food, and then you'll grow up to be big and strong like daddy. Do you ever say that to your girls? Do you ever say, eat all the food, and you'll get to grow up to be big and strong like mommy? No, no, no. Now, we don't obviously, hopefully, say to our girls, please don't eat all that food or else you get fat. But I know that many people do. So little girls are told, don't eat that or you'll get fat. Boys are told, eat up all the food and you'll be big and strong. So men are brought up with this with this in, intrinsic understanding that if you want to be big and strong and build muscle, you have to eat the food. And you should eat the food because the food is good. But women are not brought up in that way. So we have this whole tangled emotional mess around food, which keeps us stuck. It keeps us stuck. It keeps us fat. It keeps us overweight. It keeps us emotional. It keeps us guilty. It keeps us beating ourselves up. And I am done. <laughs> and you should be too. We need to stop being like women, okay? I'm not saying don't be feminine, don't be like women, but we need to stop being so emotionally involved with the food choices that we make and with our bodies and with our belly fat, see if we got a lot more clinical about it and we just assessed it as data and we stopped we stopped tying our self-worth into whether we ate the cake or we didn't eat the cake. Like I'm guilty of it too. I really prided myself on being this really strong woman because I starved myself and I was hungry most of the time and, and I managed to overcome my hunger and not eat the food and I thought this made me a good person or something, seriously. But see, whenever I stopped doing that, whenever I started measuring, and that's why I'm being so passionate about this today because measurement was the first step to me transforming my body. Before I started measuring, I just... I just winged it. I just went on how I felt. Men are data-driven. And this is not a comparison of men and women, but in bodybuilding, men are much more successful. And the reason is because men are data-driven. They separate emotion from things. Like, have you ever gone to a man? Have you ever gone to a man for help, for like with a, with a problem where you're feeling very emotional about something? And you go and you say, I'm really upset about this because such and such and whatever. And what you really want them to say is, oh, that sounds so hard. But what he goes is, well, well, how did you, well, how did you create this problem? And you're like, well, I didn't create the problem. And because, you know, this thing happened to me, well, you were obviously driving too fast or you obviously ran a red light or this, you obviously did something like what they want to see is what they want you to help you with is you should take, a, you should take responsibility for where you're accountable here. Because a man knows that when you take responsibility for your actions, when you are accountable to your actions, then you get much further in life than playing the victim. And so whenever you look at the data, whenever you assess the data, whenever you get the data and you separate all the emotion out of it, you are much more likely to be successful because now you are accountable. If you were on a calorie controlled diet and your waist was 43 centimeters before you started and your waist after four weeks is still 43 centimeters, well, you are doing something wrong. You are, you are eating too much or you're not measuring correctly or you're not doing enough cardio or something. And it's not that you're a bad person, it, unless you're lying to yourself. And even then you're not bad. It's just like, you need to recognize that you're lying to yourself and that isn't gonna help you get where you wanna go. But whenever you start to assess it objectively and you stop being emotional about it, that's when you actually start to affect change. And I'm not saying that we should be men, I'm not saying we shouldn't be women, but I'm saying that in, in, in achieving goals, we should definitely be less 
like women, <laughs> less emotional about it because it's the emotion surrounding it which is causing the problem. And I don't pretend that this is easy because it's really not easy. And I'll tell you that now, it's not easy because we have all kinds of stimulus response patterns which we build as children. All of these emotions that come up, quite often there's, you know, women can't, or, and men too, you know, we can't stop doing a compulsive behavior, like we can't stop eating or we can't stop, you know, every time we get emotional, we binge eat or like there's all kinds of, and even the other way, like bulimia and anorexia, you know, those are all um, women control their food. That's, you know, I actually have a friend whose daughter who's suffering from anorexia at the minute. And, and I said to her, it's because it's the only thing she can control in her life at the minute. And so there's a lot of emotional things that go on around food and I get it. And I'm not saying this is easy. I'm not saying this work is easy, but when you start to measure then you start to uncover these emotional patterns. It's not, it's not easy. It's not like you'll suddenly go, you know, ah, like I took the five day shredded body challenge and now I am perfect. It doesn't happen that way. Okay. It's not going to be like, you know, from now on, there's going to be like a shining light at the end of the tunnel and you're going to glide effortlessly towards it and come out the other end, like ripped and shredded. It's not going to happen that way. But what happens when you start to measure is you start to go, okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm eating 1600 calories a day. That's just an arbitrary number, by the way. I'm going to be exercising, doing cardio um, 30 minutes per day. I'm going to keep my heart rate at around 130 beats per minute. Um, I'm going to be getting eight hours of sleep every night as much as I can. I'm not going to be drinking alcohol. I'm going, you know, and so you start to, to look at all the, I'm going to train five days a week in the gym intensely. I'm going to try and train to failure. And so you keep all these variables the same. And then suddenly, as you start to measure and keep the variables the same, you start to notice Ooh, hang on a second. I'm finding it very difficult to stick to 1600 calories a day because every time, you know, I've realized that that part of the problem is my husband comes home every night with, you know, here in Belfast, we have chippies. Okay. So like chip shops, I don't know that you have those in America, but you can get like takeaway French fries. Okay. Big, thick, greasy, delicious takeaway French fries. And maybe you realize the problem is your husband works really hard. And every night he comes home, he brings home, you know, fish and chips and fish and french fries uh fish and chips is a very british thing <laughs> and so he brings that home and you're he's not bringing one home for you but when it's there you can't stop snacking so you're maybe you know sharing these with him and snacking but you're not really counting it as a meal because it's not really your meal it's your husband's meal but you're snacking on these fish and chips but you didn't even realize that you were doing this before or this was potentially a problem because you were never measuring but now you're measuring 1600 calories a day and you're prepping your food in advance and you're eating your food and now you realize these french fries and this fish are not within your calorie intake and you had one and then you maybe had another one. And then one day you go, hmm, I'm just going to look in my fitness pal out of, in, out of uh, interest. And I'm just going to put in how many, um, how many calories these French fries might be. And then you realize that the French fries you're eating total 560 calories, which is way, way, way over your 1600 calorie count allowance. And that might just be part of the problem. But you didn't even know this was a problem before you started measuring because it wasn't really me. Your husband was just bringing home the French fries and you were just picking on them and you didn't know there were 560 calories, but now you do know. And the reason why you know is because you started measuring. So this is the beauty of measurement. And then it becomes emotional. Then you get to go, okay, do I really want to have a six pack? <laughs> Let me put like that, that picture again that Kim Constable made me do for my, for my after body. And you look at it. And you look at the picture and then you look at the french fries then you look at the picture then you look at the french fries now you have a decision to make are the french fries worth it 
are, yes, they're tasty and they're delicious and you can dip them in tomato ketchup and sprinkle them with vinegar and loads of salt, but are they worth it? Or is the six pack worth it more? Now you have a decision to make. And that is what data does. That is what measurement does. It starts to make you aware of everything that you are doing and helps you to make better choices. So that over the long term, you can start to become much, much, much more self-aware. Because the reason I hate to tell you that you're fat and unhappy is because you've made bad choices up until now. And don't, I don't mean bad as in bad as in like you're a bad person, but if your goal has been to be slim and you're not slim, then anything that you chose to eat that moved you towards your goal of being slim was good. And anything that you chose to eat that moved you away from your goal of being slim was bad. So every time you had French fries and chocolate cake and pancakes or big creamy cappuccinos or you know any of those things that you were eating that has made you fat and unhappy, then that was bad because it was moving you away from your goal. So all measurement does is helps you to become more aligned as to here's where I want to go. Here's where I am now. Is this thing I'm going to put in my mouth going to move me closer to here or further away from here? And now it becomes a decision point. And there's something magical that happens when you become super mindful in that way. And I'm not saying that it's easy. I'm absolutely not saying that it's easy. I have a whole story written down here to tell you about, um, let me tell you a quick story about, about why it's not easy, right? We've got 10 minutes left, so I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna tell you a story. I was like, I don't know whether I'm gonna tell you it or not, but I will. And it's a personal story of mine from, um, from whenever I was younger. Once I started measuring all of my, measuring everything, measuring my calorie intake, measuring my training output, measuring my cardio, measuring my heart rate, measuring my sleep. Once I started measuring, I began to become super aware of my relationship to food and how I felt around food. And I remember one day I was in the kitchen and it was Tuesday night. And Tuesday night in our house is burger night. Now we have a private chef at home um, who cooks the most delicious food. And every Tuesday night, Lee used to prep for me. I used to come from the office and the kids and Ryan would be having burgers. Now they're vegan burgers and either Lee makes them or they're the beyond burgers, right? Which are really delicious. So he would do burger and chips, but the chips are like triple cooked. Okay. So he does, we call chips like French fries. So he would, um, so he, he parboils them and then he does something else to them. I think he like, oh yes, then he like, I don't know how he triple cooks them actually. Now I'm thinking about it. I think he oven cooks them, then he oven cooks them again to bake them. So they're not oil, they're not oily. They are baked, but they're crispy and they're delicious and they're like wedges, right? Unbelievable. So every Tuesday night, I would sit down at the table to my whatever vegan meat that Lee had made me, Satan. He makes the most amazing Satan steak. So I would sit down to say a Satan steak. Um, and a big plate of green cruciferous vegetables and a salad. Ryan and the kids would be eating burger and chips and they're loaded burgers, big burger bump, pickles and vegan cheese and ketchup and, and avocado and, and vegan bacon. And I'm talking big loaded burgers. And Ryan would say to me, have a burger. And I, I'm super lean, right? Very muscular. I could afford to have a burger. And Ryan would say to me, have a burger. And I'd be like, no, no, I don't want to have a burger. 
And they'd be like, how can you not want to have a burger? Have a burger and some, have a burger and chips. And, and I'd be like, no, 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 it's fine. I'm, I'm happy. And he was like, but you eat that every night. Like you're always eating green vegetables. Can you not just have a burger? And I was like, right, I don't want to have a burger. And this would happen every week. So this went on for about, I would say about six weeks. And there was one night I realized I came in and I was starving. I was absolutely starving. I think I'd missed lunch, starving. Came in and I looked at that burger and I wanted that burger so badly. And I wanted those French fries so badly. And I and I picked like one of the French fries and I dipped it into a bit of vegan mayo. And I and I, I was like, oh, I, had a, I think I had like two or three of them. And I was like, here, and I, and I piled it out of my plate because he loves to see me eat. And I was like, and I was like, no, 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 I don't want any more, I don't want any more. And he was like, what is the issue? He was like, Kim, look at you. You have veins on your abs. You're lean, <laughs> you're muscular. Like you're not shredding for a show. You have, you're not working towards any particular goal. What is the issue with the food? And I said to him, okay, you're right. There is something going on here. Let me, let me think about it. And so I did a lot of meditation on it. That's what I would do every time I notice an issue. Like I start to, I journal and I meditate. So I sat and I meditated for a while and I thought, I really focused in on the feeling. I was like, what is the feeling? Because I realized that he was right. There was a feeling. Because this particular night, I was starving. Normally, I could pretend that the feeling's not there or just ignore it or push it down. But this particular night, I was starving. And there was a burger there for me and French fries. And I could have just eaten them. And But I wouldn't allow myself. And I focused in on the feeling. And I was like, what is the feeling? What is the feeling? What is the feeling? There was something there because I wouldn't allow myself to do it. And as I focused on the feeling, which was a feeling of frustration because I wanted to eat the food, but I wouldn't allow myself, it brought up a memory of whenever I was, I was young. I must have been maybe five or six, maybe. And my mom, we were meat eaters as young as kids, and my mom used to cook liver. Now, I don't know if you've ever tasted liver. Maybe you're a meat eater and you like liver, but I remember liver as being absolutely and utterly revolting. Such a strong, strong taste. And kids have very sensitive taste buds. And I remember my mum always tried to get us to eat liver. Now, I'm saying always. It might not have been always. It might have just been this one time. But I remember what it brought up was this feeling of sitting at the table, okay? Sitting at the table with this liver in front of me. And mum had sat it down. And we were all good eaters. And there was vegetables and potatoes with it. And I remember, you know, she was like, oh, girls have got this liver. It's really nutritious. So good for you. And she was really trying to sell us this liver. And I have two sisters. And we all sat down at the table. And I remember cutting off a piece of the liver and putting it in my mouth and chewing it. And I was like, oh. <coughs> and I spat it out. It was disgusting. Now, I was eager to please when I was younger because my mum, you know, because we were all, we grew up in the country. We had really good food. And I really wanted to eat it. And I was like, oh, mommy, that's disgusting. And she was like, well, no, you have to eat it. And I was like, oh, no, please, mommy, please. I don't want to eat it. It's disgusting. She was like, no, come on. It's really good for you. Come on, Kim, eat it up. Eat it. Try it up. Try it up. And I thought, oh, oh. And I had this feeling of, oh, my God, oh, my God. And I remember, like, cutting into it again and trying it again, being like, oh. I remember gagging and just being like, I can't do it. I can't do it. And I remember sitting there and she was like, my sisters must have decided just to eat theirs and get it out of the way. I remember sitting there going, please, mommy, I don't want to. And I pushed it around my plate and pushed it around my plate. And then I tried to hide it underneath my potatoes. And I just felt absolutely miserable. And she was like, you are not leaving this table until you eat that liver. 
And I was like, oh, I just felt so utterly miserable. This is the worst thing you can ever do to your children, by the way. Like you destroy their relationship with food if you force them to eat it, especially if you make them sit at the table until they finish it. That is the worst thing you can ever do to your children. And so I remember sitting there and it seems like thinking back on it, it seemed like I was there for like an hour. I'm sure I wasn't there for an hour. I'm sure it was maybe 20 minutes. I don't even know how long it was, but whenever you're five or six, it felt like a long time. So I'm sitting at the table, miserably staring at my food and mum's here moving around the kitchen and pretending not to, you know, everyone else has left the table. I'm the last one there. And I'm, I'm looking at this, willing myself to eat it, willing myself. And I, you know, and I, and I, I, I remember like cutting off a bit and like being like, I'm just thinking, I remember staring at it and thinking, I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. I was willing myself to eat this liver, willing myself. And I was like, I just couldn't bring myself to do it. And eventually I think my mom said, she said, look, it's fine. You don't have to eat it. And I was like, really? Really? And she was like, no, it's fine. Forget it. She obviously felt sorry for me sitting there and she realized it wasn't going to work. I wasn't going to be able to eat it. And so I was like, oh my God, thank you, mommy. Thank you. And I went like, you know, put my plate to the side and I ran off in case she changed her mind. So as I focused in on this memory, I realized something really, really, really important. I had me, I made a rule after that experience. I made a rule, a fear-based rule that you should always choose to eat the thing that is good for you. And so if you're ever presented with an option of eating the thing that is good for you or eating or leaving it or choosing something else, you should always choose the thing that is good for you. So whenever I was sitting at the table presented with the option of eating a burger and chips or eating uh, or eating a salad, a seitan steak and salad, even though I wanted to eat the thing that was bad for me, I, I would not allow myself to. Like I remember thinking, because as I really dug deep and examined it, I realized, sorry, my nose is tickling, I realized that the only time I ever chose to eat something that wasn't the healthiest possible option for me was whenever I threw it in the fucking bucket. Whenever I was like, oh, fuck it, I don't care. After I'd had a few drinks, like I actually enjoyed having a couple of glasses of champagne on a Friday night because then I would have, you know, I would order pizza and I would have like, then I would go to like the, the crisp cupboard because my rule would be stripped away from me because I would have a little bit of alcohol. And so after I had a little bit of alcohol, it was like I, I began to relax. And that's when I would allow myself to have pizza or allow myself to have the bad food. And I realized that the only time I really ever relaxed and enjoyed the bad food was whenever I had thrown it in the fuck it bucket. I couldn't choose to eat something bad because it felt good. Because that memory of being forced to eat the liver or trying to eat the liver had installed in me a rule that you should always choose the good option. You should always choose the good option. So I had literally existed the rest of my life feeling guilty anytime I chose anything that wasn't the best option. Now, don't get me wrong, it, it served me well because it meant that I never got super overweight, but it also didn't serve me well because it meant that I had all of these rules around food 
I, food didn't feel good. Eating food didn't feel good. I was eating the good option, not because it was a value of mine and it moved me towards my goal, but I was choosing the good option because it was a rule. It was a rule based on fear. And rules based on fear are never a good way for us to act or for us to make choices. The reason I'm telling you this story is because I bet you also have a whole massive pile of these yourself. It might not be this, it might be something different. It might, like I remember one of the women in my groups telling me that whenever she was, um, whenever she was younger, she was overweight and she used to get teased all the time by her family. And her mom used to say to her, you're far too overweight, you're, you're far too fat, you need to, you know, you need to lose weight. And she was the one who was responsible for doing a lot of the cooking in the house. So what she used to do when she was cooking was she used to eat the food whenever she was cooking. She used to like shove it in really quickly. And then when she sat down at the table, she would just pick at her dinner. She would just eat little bits of her dinner, but she didn't want her family to see her eating. And so she developed this habit, this stimulus response pattern, where she felt fearful to eat in front of people. So she ate sneakily. She ate when she was cooking. She ate when she was, and she, she carried this tradition on her entire life. And her friends used to say to her, I don't know why you're overweight because you never eat. Like they never saw her eat because she ate when she cooked. So she could, because she didn't want the shame of being, you know, called out at the dinner table. Because that's when it used to happen. You say, oh, stop eating so much. That's your third portion. You're, you're eating too much. So she, she realized that she was eating when she was cooking. And that was her downfall. Now, she didn't even know this until she came into the Sculpt and Shred program. She's in the 18-month program. And it was only when I shared one of these stories or when the coaches, because we do very intensive coaching within that program, and a lot of it is to help you overcome your emotional limitations or help you to be more aware of where you choose to eat emotionally. And so this, this one particular woman I'm thinking of, she said, I didn't even know. I didn't even know this was an issue. I hadn't even remembered that this used to happen until Kim shared her story. I think I shared the story on a podcast. And it helped her to realize that she was doing this and being aware of it helped her to stop, helped her to transform it. So now when she was cooking, she realized she had the option to continue the pattern and eat or she could not eat when she was cooking and she could sit at the table and she could enjoy her food knowing that no one was going to shame her. And so whenever you, you slow down your process, whenever you start to become more aware of you know, the choices that you make, the food that you eat, how you eat, where you eat, what you eat, which happens when you start to measure. Your whole life transforms if you allow it to be so. And that's why whenever I teach these masterclasses, you know, I've seen a lot of five-day challenges and, and the people show up and they've I've heard people say, oh, in a five-day challenge, you know, your, your video shouldn't be more than 10 minutes long. You just give them the quick step and then you get them to go and do it. And I'm like, 10 minutes? Who the hell can explain, you know, why to do something in 10 minutes? Because I could just show up here and say, okay, your, your task for today is to measure yourself and to weigh yourself and do your body fat and you'll all go away and do it without any real understanding of why it's important. But I want you to walk away from this masterclass today going, I can't not measure myself because now I know why it's important because Kim has explained to me what will happen as a result of starting to measure. And I'm all in because I want these results. And hopefully you'll walk away from this masterclass knowing you're not a bad person. You're a wonderful, wonderful human being. And I love you, every single one of you. You're not bad because you choose to eat or because you haven't exercised, or because you chose a higher value for being ripped and shredded. Who the fuck cares about being ripped and shredded? It doesn't make you a good person. 
If you have a kind heart and you take care of people and you're not nasty and you're, you know, you're not trolling people online and you love your children and your husband or your wife or your family. And maybe you chose to take care of your elderly parents and, and you didn't have time to go to the gym. Well, that's such a higher value than having six pack abs. But I guess the point I'm trying to make is you can't have both. Because I'm, I successfully managed to run a, a multi-million-dollar international company as well as homeschool and take care of my four young children. Before I came here, I was up giving my my daughter a horse riding lesson, as well as managed to have a great relationship with my family and my friends, and and help as many women as I possibly can through my company and and be a professional bodybuilder. I managed to train in the gym every day and still do cardio. I fit an awful lot into 24 hours, but the reason why I can do it is because. I, I am very aware of what's important to me. I measure everything. I know my values. And I don't think that I'm bad. Sometimes I fail. Sometimes I let people down. Sometimes I have to choose one value over another and somebody's disappointed. But that's life. You know, I'm just here doing the best I can. And whenever you accept that all you've done up until now is the best you can, all you've done up until now is try to be a good person. And if you could have done better, you would have. And there's nobody here judging you then all you have to do is just slow it down, start to measure, become more self-aware, find the pause in between the stimulus and response. What do I mean by stimulus and response? Stimulus for me was looking at the burger and the French fries versus the salad and realizing my response was I was feeling frustrated. I wanted to eat the burger, but I wouldn't allow myself. So stimulus is I see the burger, response is I feel frustrated. Once I took a pause in between that, and I began to dig deep and try and trigger the memory as to where this was created and become aware of it, it's, it transformed. Same as the, the woman in, in the group who, who realized that she was eating whenever she was cooking so that she wouldn't feel the shame of sitting at the table and being called fat. So they always say, there's a quote I love, and it says, freedom lies in, this, in the capacity to pause between stimulus and response. So I'll say it again, freedom lies in the capacity to pause between stimulus and response. So I want you to figure out what are all your stimuluses. You don't even need to figure them out because honestly, when you start to measure, your stimuluses will start to come up. Your stimulus response patterns will become apparent because that's what measurement does. So measurement isn't just so you can have some numbers written on a piece of paper. There's a much deeper meaning behind measurement, much deeper meaning. It will start to uncover the things that are stopping you from achieving your goals. And that is the key to your success. So I know I went on a little bit longer today and I apologize for, um, for keeping you longer than I should have, but I think it was worthwhile. And I've just loved teaching this so much. So um, it actually makes me quite emotional to teach it um, because I just want you to succeed so much. You know, I really, really, really do. And I know you can, and I hope that I can help you. So, what I want you to do is, without any emotion, I want you to download the PDF that we are posting in announcements. And I, if you have any trouble downloading it, just um, try and, I'm trying to think, open it in a different browser. Sometimes if you try and open it within Facebook, it, it doesn't work. So I want you to download it. I want you to read through it. I want you to unemotionally and joyfully take out your tape measure and measure yourself and weigh yourself and don't look at the scale and make that number mean anything because it's just the first number on your journey. It doesn't define you, it doesn't make you a bad or a good person, it's just a number. 
I want you to write that number down. And I want you to know that, that write, the writing down of that number represents the first step in your journey to achieving the body goal that you set for yourself yesterday. That's all it represents. That's all those numbers are. They're your first set of data points that you are going to use to measure whether or not the plan you are working that I'm going to give you over these next five days is moving you towards your goal or away from it so that you can tweak it, change it, and, and get yourself back on track anytime you you feel that you're not moving in the right direction. So let me know how you get on. I would love to know what you thought of today's live. So if you want to write a comment in the group and tag me, I would love that too. Um, any awarenesses or epiphanies that you have, any stories that you became aware of while you were listening to me talk, I'd love to read those. So feel free to share them with me because I love, I'm in the group every day reading everything. I read everything. I read all my groups. I spend hours every day on my Facebook groups. Um, and I will see you tomorrow at the same time, 4 p.m. UK time. If you're watching the replay, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for choosing to spend your time with me. Thank you for being here live. Hope you enjoyed today as much as I enjoyed teaching it. And I will see you all tomorrow at the same time. Mwah! Big kiss from me to you. And I will see you guys tomorrow. Have a wonderful, wonderful rest of the day wherever you are. Bye. Bye. Oh.